The opinions and viewpoints expressed in .NET Rocks are not necessarily those of its sponsors or of Microsoft Corporation, its partners, or employees. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, which is solely responsible for its content. Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter. Rockheads, take off that Britney Spears costume and listen up. It's time for another stellar episode of .NET Rocks, the internet audio talk show for .NET developers, with Carl Franklin and Richard Campbell. This is Lawrence Ryan announcing show number 286 with guest Nikhil Kotari, recorded live Monday, October 15th, 2007. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter, and now, bringing world-class expert-led training in C-Sharp, ASP.NET, VB.NET, SharePoint, BizTalk, TeamSystem, and Workflow Foundation on-site to your development team. Details online at www.franklins.net. Support is also provided by Telerik, combining the best in Windows forms and ASP.NET controls with first-class customer service. Online at www.telerik.com And by Code Magazine, the leading independent magazine for .NET developers. Online at www.code-magazine.com And now, the man who's not at all worried about losing his mind because he's got it backed up on a hard drive somewhere, Carl Franklin! Thank you very much. Welcome back to .NET Rocks. It's Carl. Carl Franklin. Carl Franklin. I think that's my last name. Carl Franklin. Carl Franklin. Coming up to the mic right now. Coming up to the microphone. Carl Franklin. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Carl Franklin. And Richard, how are you, sir? I am very, very well. And uh, just about all set to go to Dev Connections. Yeah. Which we're both doing. I gotta, I've put my whole schedule together. I'm insanely busy, but it's gonna be a gas. You wanna know what we're gonna do after Dev Connections, Richard? What are we I, doing? I'm really convinced of this that we need to, uh, get the live feedback going. Oh, you want the live feedback, huh? Now, what I'm talking about, kids, is that we used to do, uh, .NET Rocks and, uh, send out the live stream. So we'd have Richard's phone and me on the microphone and then the guest on the phone. We mix all that together and send it out, uh, what did we use? Like uh, we used Winamp and we used Microsoft uh, streaming audio. Yeah, it was just streaming audio. But you get to hear all the mistakes we make and sure. the arguments we have and the starts and stops. And but, you also find out that we tend to record shows in batches. But more importantly, what we really got that I'm that I really miss, and I think the listeners do too, is the feedback, the instant input and feedback from the listeners. Right. Because how many times, so let's face it, guys, how many times have you been listening to a show and you just wanted to say, good, wait a minute, hold it, wait a minute, you didn't talk about this, right? Or wait, I got this point, it's so great, I just want to jump in here. 
Well, you can do that if you listen live. We, we have an IRC chat window that uh, we'll resurrect. And basically, you'll be able to post questions as well as on the chat window. You'll be able to post questions in a, in a web-based application so that we can uh, read them and ask our guests. Because uh, let's face it, Richard, we're just out of questions. <laughs> well, you know, we, we, I think we do pretty well, but often there's a listener there with an insight we don't have. Of course. And, and I'd love to grab that. That's exactly what I'm talking about. And I know the listeners would really appreciate that. So look, at, for, look for that after Dev Connections. We're going to set up the live feed. We'll have uh, information about it on the front page. So, Well, Richard, let's just get into our Better Know a Framework segment. <laughs> And uh, if you've never heard this before, I'm just finding little pieces of the framework out there for your perusal and drawing your attention to them. Not meant to be a three-minute training session. So what do you got? So the namespace today is Microsoft.Windows.Themes. Themes? Themes. And you might think that this is about Windows XP or Windows Vista, like operating system themes. But no. This provides exposure to the – and I'm reading – here. It provides exposure to the set of themes defined by Windows Presentation Foundation. Oh. Yeah. In WPF, a theme is a set of resources defined at the system level, which provide the default appearance for controls and other visual elements of an application. WPF themes are created using styles and include Luna, Aero, Royale, and Classic. Only the client area of a WPF application uses theming, the Windows border, minimize, maximize, close buttons, etc., that form the window Chrome, they're calling it, are themed using the Win32 theme service. So there you go. The Microsoft Windows.Themes namespace coming soon to a WPF theater near you. Cool. So what you got, Richard? Well, you know what? I guess I feel like I stepped in it a bit. And I'm going to try and redeem myself here. Here's the email that started off my grief this afternoon. Okay. Hey, DNR guys. Love the show. Thanks. Just listened to show 282. I'm a few behind and I'll catch up eventually. In it, there was a message from a listener saying that Microsoft is dropping VBA from the first 64-bit Office version. Mm. I've searched and searched, and I can't find any references to this message from Microsoft other than for Office for the Mac. Would you know where I can find this in writing? I work in a large public hospital where I manage software development, and we have lots of access databases with thousands of lines of VBA. We need to start making plans now if VBA is going to be dropped. Thanks, Alan Boldock from uh, Royal Adelaide Hospital in Australia. Now, first off, thanks for your email, Alan, because really what you're doing is calling me out. Here I read an email, and I feel somewhat irresponsibly because if you're going to start making decisions at a hospital, we better have our facts straight. So, the email he's referring to is the one that referred to show 279 with uh, Ken Getz when we were talking about VSTO. Right. That was Stephen Bolin, where he stated quite specifically, and I quote, Microsoft has stated with 100% certainty that the VBA runtime will never be ported to a 64-bit platform. Hmm. And he does not provide a reference. And I, too, could not find any evidence of this statement. Hmm. So I started digging around for issues around this. And I did find one thing that was interesting. Obviously, VBA never made it to the Mac. So the Mac version of Office didn't get VBA. And that's not a big deal. 
It, that's not a, you know the main issue here. The main issue was what's the state of VBA, and I did find inside of the MSDN area a specific statement from Microsoft saying they will discontinue the licensing of VBA. So this is relevant if you're building an application that you want to include VBA into, you know, how like Great Plains did and a bunch of other products, including AutoCAD, for example, you can no longer buy VBA to put into your products. They're hmm. only selling VSTA. Now, VSTA is Visual Studio Tools for Applications. That's the VBA next. That's right, the .NET version of VBA. And VSTA is interesting enough to me that we're going to have a show on it. I've got the VSTA guys on board, and we're going to talk about that in a coming show. So we're going to get to VSTA. But as of July 1st, 2007, VBA no longer being sold. But they also specifically state that any company that currently has a license for VBA can continue to sell it and support it. So that is mm. not a cancellation of VBA in any stretch of the imagination. You know, what it comes down to is speculation. I mean, we just are, we're in over our heads here. We don't know. Well, and so the next question I thought was, well, what about the 64-bit version of Office? Right. Here's my thinking around this. Office built end-to-end -end in COM. I mean, it's saturated in COM. VBA is saturated in COM. Yeah. And there is no 64-bit version of COM. Yep, it's And so in order to move Office to 64-bit, if you're going to take the existing code base and migrate it to 64-bit, you'd have to move COM to 64-bit. Yeah. And that is a huge operation. If you did it, VBA would obviously come with. Yeah. But I can't imagine Microsoft doing this. Now, I found a bunch of references to rumors about Microsoft in about the 2005 timeframe that Microsoft was going to build a 64-bit version of Office 12. Hmm. Now, Office 12 is out. We know it is Office 2007. Mm -hmm. No 64-bit version anywhere to be found. Hmm. And no reference to 64-bit versions of Office anywhere in Microsoft. Huh. And I would point out, moving Office to 64-bit would be a massive Massive undertaking. Well, because there's no com, they'd, all the com would be, have to be replaced, and we know that that's never going to happen. Wouldn't they just move it? I mean, if you're going to, you've got two choices. You either port Office, which means you're moving com, or you rewrite Office. How many lines of code is that? Yeah, that's not going to happen. It's unbelievable. It's a tremendous possibility. I mean, it would be incredible. But how long would that take? So the bottom line, I think, people, is we need somebody from Microsoft to come on the show and, and tell us what's what about VBA and Office. Because you're right. I mean, this is obviously an issue that goes beyond both Richard's and my knowledge about what's going on. And, and it's kind of vague out there. Yeah, I think we got to go dig down on the facts. Yep. I'd like to know what the state of a 64-bit version of Office is and then buy that same role, what happens to VBA there? I mean, obviously, Microsoft is building VSTA now. We do know that definitively. We know that mm -hmm. they're moving away from making VBA available. So, you know, the implication that VBA will never be in 64-bit seems to be there. But it is no facts, no proof. Microsoft said nothing definitively here. I'd love to see a definitive statement one way or the other, and I'm going to try and find it. And thanks, Alan, and thanks for bringing this up. And, and getting us back to the on track about what the real issues are here and what the impact of those things are. Going to send you a mug for your troubles. Absolutely. And uh, appreciate the thinking. And Richard, uh, before we get started here, I just have to read this short email that I got today. Uh, this is from Kent Bugart, and he says, After finishing up work today at my new job, I slapped on my new headphones and listened to a new episode of DNR. I jumped on the train and headed back to my new apartment in my new home. 
City of London, where my wife awaited. Same old. He had to put that in parentheses. <laughs> I had just met my new boss, Greg Brill. Oh, man. Yep. I'm an Infusionite, and I have both Infusion and your awesome show to thank for it. Without the .NET vehicle that is .NET Rocks, I would not be here enjoying a new life. Thank you so much. Any talented developers out there who are thinking about applying but need a push, consider this a shove. Kind regards, Kent Bugart. And, of course, he's referring to the uh, to Infusion, who's uh, friends of ours and a partner of ours down in Manhattan. And they're looking for people to hire in London and Boston and Manhattan, and I think even Canada, too. They're hiring all over the place. If you're interested in the deal where they'll send you to New York for a year and put you up in an apartment rent-free for a year, uh, go to shrinkster.com slash kh6. All right, Richard, let's uh, bring in our guest. Nikhil Kotari is a software architect in the .NET Developer Platform Group within Developer Division at Microsoft. During his 10 years at Microsoft, Nikhil has focused on the web platform and has contributed to the design and development of .NET and ASP.NET since their inception, as well as various features in IIS 7 and Visual Studio products. He's responsible for the server control framework in ASP.NET, initiated and led the development of ASP.NET AJAX, and now plays a key role in the programming model aspects of the Silverlight platform. He's the author of Developing Microsoft ASP.NET Server Controls and Components, and is also responsible for starting and working on a number of innovative projects such as Web Matrix, Script Sharp, Web Development Helper, and most recently Facebook.net. He has presented at various Microsoft and industry conferences, and beyond a deep passion for developer tools and frameworks, Nikhil's enthusiastic and interested in digital photography. His blog is at Nikhil.net. Will you please? His blog is at www.nikhilk. That's N-I-K-H-I-L-K.net. Please welcome Nikhil Katari. Thanks, guys. And the um, fir- to be here. Great to have you. And the first thing I think of is, Richard, we've been giving Scott Guthrie too much credit. That's what I was thinking, too. <laughs> <laughs> Guy built the server component framework. Wow. Like, there isn't an ASP.NET developer in the world that doesn't owe you a little homage. Um, it's, it's, it's been a fun ride. I mean, um, I never for once knew it would be this big. What, yeah, it's unbelievable. I mean, talk about an engine. Did I just see, uh, the latest stats from Netcraft showing 50 million ASP.NET servers out there? Good yeah, lord. Yeah, the numbers, uh, at that scale start, you know, are pretty mind boggling. And, uh, it's fun. It's fun to have worked on a successful product. I mean, it's, it's a cool thing. Now, let's, let's talk about the, uh, you know, the, the control framework, the server controls and components. Did were you an architect on that as well? Um, were you? Um, I actually um, have played different roles on the ASP.NET team um, since it started. I uh, started out as an individual developer back, uh, started working on this back in uh, somewhere around 1998 or late 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 98, I think. Um, so as a, I work, I started working as an individual developer on a number of the controls and. Uh, page framework um, back in the ASP.NET 1.0 days. Um, it was actually called XSP back then when I first started. Um, and then it got renamed to ASP Plus and then ASP.NET. So that's sort of a 
naming history there. Um, and then um, as 1.0 kind of rolled out, um, I uh, took a lead position um, and um, was a dev lead for uh, about five years. Um, I actually started out by leading the team that developed Web Matrix when it kind of grew grew to be a little bit more than my personal project. Um, and then as .NET 2.0 kind of came around in full force, I um, led um, most of the uh, web forms feature areas. I wrote a little bit of the code um, here and there, kind of uh, did lots of prototyping, um, and my team was then responsible for um, getting it, you know, ready to ship and um, out in customers' hands. Uh, but it's been sort of fun um, playing a, uh, a sort of a developer slash uh uh, architect role, not a formal architect role. So I, I got to do hands-on work and more broader thinking. Um, as that kind of um, started shipping, I actually transitioned to IIS for about a year, worked as a lead over there to kind of ramp up some of the IS7 um, innovations that happened in that in that time frame um, that um, shipped actually as part of uh, Vista and will uh, ship as part of long run server. Um, and then I I came back to ASP.NET uh, to start the ASP.NET Ajax framework, and this time around I started in the architect role. Um, I uh, did some of the very initial um, prototypes along with a couple of folks on the team, um, and then kind of grew that to uh, the you know the first few CTPs, the first um, big kind of uh, splash um, around it at Mix uh, Mix06, um, then kind of um, mentored team as they as they took the um, took the took the ideas and took the uh, feature set to productization um, and along the way I started thinking about um, you know what's beyond script and uh, and beyond kind of the uh, traditional capabilities of the browser that we've uh, we've been programming against and started looking at uh, bringing managed code into the browser and that kind of eventually gave it uh, led, led its way into um, serverless and so it's been it's been a fun ride. I mean, lots of little things, lots of big things. Uh, wow. it's, uh, it's always been interesting uh, in terms of challenges and opportunities. So I'm thankful for, uh, you know, getting a chance to work on this exciting space. What a story. And just to get this out of the way, what were you doing before your work at Microsoft? Uh, I actually joined right out of college. I did uh, one internship at Microsoft uh, right before my final year in college in Visual Interdev. Um, some of the um, audience might remember that product. Sure, uh, I remember. Back, Mark Anders. With Shudder, you know, with fear. Back in 97, I, I worked on that, and we shipped that. Um, unfortunately, that product um, didn't have too many uh, iterations. Um, that was one of the reasons why I did Web Matrix. I thought the concept had a lot of promise in it, and it was great to kind of see um, that the ideas in Web Matrix kind of made them into made into a visual web developer, and now we have a, um, you know, web-focused skew. So that's, that's uh, kind of bringing the visual interdive, um kind of idea back around. So doing the math, you were probably in college between 93 and 96, 97? I did my college from uh, 93 to 97. So that was... I, actually, actually, I did my college from 94 to 97. I, was, I did one year of high school. So you got into college just when people were discovering the Internet. Um, yeah, actually, my first um, first job uh, while at college was to actually write a uh, search engine and uh, a shopping cart, uh, all from scratch, in 
Um, I started with the Netscape servers and then quickly moved on to the uh, iOS um, server programming environment. But uh, wow. I guess that was a little early, uh, in ter- or, or I at least didn't kind of see where that was going. But I've I've really literally been in the web space since the beginning. <laughs> Nikhil, if you were going to write a memoir, it should be called An Unpolluted Mind. <laughs> <laughs> You just have to drop in at just the right time. Just the right time. Solve yeah. this vision. So Web Matrix has sort of vanished now, right? I mean, two thousand two, two thousand three, it was huge. Is it just become the you know Web Developer Express? Yeah. Um, so Web Matrix was um, a, an idea around um, a few things, actually. One was. Um, just kind of having, um, as I mentioned earlier, a web-focused SKU, a web-focused product, um, so that, so that you know someone who's into just web development isn't confused by the thousands of other features that are in a a, a sort of a grander SKU like uh, you know Visual Studio Pro. Right. So that was one of the ideas. Um, the other idea was um, to um, really actually uh, this was in the early .NET 1.0 days, so really actually build an application that was fully managed. Um, there was a big question, could it be done? Uh, that was not yet proven. So that was a challenge uh, that WebMatrix was out there to kind of, uh, one of the reasons why I started it. The other reason why I started it was um, really actually it grew out of a um, testing host that I had written uh, when I worked on server controls um, to kind of um, uh, um, make the process of writing a server control and testing it in the design service quicker. Um, and so it kind of grew out of that. So those were some of the ideas. Uh, it, it provided a sort of test bed for a number of um, things like, you know, what does it mean to have a projectless um, web project? Um, a lot of people actually wanted that. Um, as we found out actually later, a lot of people want the project file as well. So there's yeah. you know, people in both camps. And so WebMatrix in general was a great way to test out some ideas. And also, it didn't require Internet Information Server. It was file-based. But I think, Richard, maybe one of the reasons why it sort of fell out of favor is because that Visual Studio 2005 has Cassini, and it has basic, you know, uh, you can do everything without IIS, right? Well, so we, we took all the ideas that we thought had merit and kind of put them into Visual Studio and, and created the web developer SKU. Yeah. Um, and um, included obviously the the development web server, so that you know you could um, test out your apps without run, uh, without running IIS. And I think using Visual Studio 2005 for editing web applications is much better than either Visual Studio 2003 or the Web Matrix. It's nice. Yeah, and w- one clear thing balance. to realize, um, and you know, I experienced this firsthand, is it is um, it is very easy to write about 10% of an IDE. And extremely hard to replicate all of the power that's in Visual Studio. Um, it's it's just got you know amazing number of features that you just take for granted. They just um, work, and and instead of very high bar for any um, IDE. So um, I WebMatrix certainly wasn't out there. Its goal wasn't to kind of replace VS. It was it was its goal was to test out ideas and um, I guess also provide a fun project. I mean I can't deny that. Right. <laughs> well, you that. must have gotten a tremendous insight into Studio in that process. And I don't think that Web Matrix is dead at all. It's now Studio Express 2005 for web developers. Web developer, yeah. Exactly. And it's great stuff. 
So um, do you do a lot of speaking? Um, it, it surprises me that that I haven't really heard your name and haven't uh, haven't seen anything that you've written, and it's probably just reflects poorly on me. But have um, you, are you that I, visible in the community? I, I I do speak at conferences like TechEd and PDC, uh, and as well as Mix uh, the last two years. Um, so um, I do speak. Uh, I, I I guess I used to speak a lot more before. For some reason, I think that mm. maybe I've been. Uh, too busy working on products that will ship the next year or will come out the next year. So yeah. I've been kind of focused on that for, for some time. Um, I write on my blog, which is also fairly, um, you know, I, I sort of write in verse. And I was actually reflecting on this the other day uh, as to why that is the case. And usually what I try to do with my blog is present ideas or prototypes or projects or stuff that I work on. And, you know, those consume time. So I don't have mm. something out there to post every day or every week or right. uh, or or that frequently. I have thought about uh, also writing uh, a book, and it's just been um, uh, hard to kind of commit to that, just because there's so many things happening at work um, that it's just um, it's just a big commitment that I haven't decided yet. <laughs> I yeah, do some... I do have I guess um, as you mentioned earlier uh, one book uh, which is the book on ac.net server controls right um it's been very well received um lots of people actually have asked me for a v2 of the book wow. uh, which as which again has um just not happened because of uh, lack of time are there still things in the in that framework and in the control framework and components that you find people overlooking even now with all the information so readily available um well i think the the thing that I find um, um, sort of surprising or maybe it's actually to be expected is a lot of people um, sort of try to work against the framework um, and as opposed to kind of go along with the flow a little bit more and as a result they kind of find themselves hitting against walls and and that's kind of my um, as I said surprise but at the same time I guess it's to be expected because the framework is fairly large um, and, and brings a lot of patterns with it. Uh, we're, we're certainly obviously trying to, you know, address a large, um, spectrum of requirements and, um, we're continually trying to make it appeal to a, uh, you know, wider, um, set of interests. Um, you know, for, you must have recently seen, for example, the, um, MVC, um, work that we're doing and, um, a large, a large sort of, uh, motivation there is, you know, um, recognizing that there are different kinds of uh, ways to develop applications. And, and so the MVC framework, for example, offers a um, uh, sort of a, a smaller framework with a smaller set of um, pre-built patterns that, you know, it enforces on its, on its uh, users. Um, right. So essentially, um, I, I guess I'm not so surprised that people aren't finding information. I think there's lots of ground to be covered, and there's you know different kinds of information through different channels. So it, it's always great though when I talk to someone, um, either in person or email, about you know in-depth kind of these topics where I kind of get to express my thought or why something was done in a particular way. Yeah. So I think I think we have you know, lots of information out there for a large framework and, and it is a large framework. We, we've talked on the show 
several times recently about this issue of people not wanting to use the framework as much as, you know, go against it and rewrite things and reinvent things. And my philosophy on this is that, um, you know, if something isn't challenging enough, a developer's first uh, instinct is to make it more challenging because it's the challenge that's fun, you know? And so at a certain at a certain point, if everything's a framework and everything's setting properties and clicky-clicking, you know, what's the fun in that? It becomes repetitive and boring. So, I don't know. I kind of think that there's a there's a streak in every developer that just wants to do things the hard way just to do it. I, I actually would completely agree with you, and I wouldn't characterize it so much the hard way. I would characterize it more as in, I truly want to get down to the metal, and I want to um, see things come to life. I point um, out this is the guy who built his own web development framework. <laughs> right. right. Uh, <laughs> I I look at myself and I can see that being a reality. Right. <laughs> so you know how the rest of us feel now. I absolutely do. <laughs> You're taking all the fun away, man. No, no, no. I uh, maybe it's just me and I'm projecting, but um I kind of I that's my philosophy. Hey, this is Carl. I just want to take a minute out of the show to tell you about Telerix Q2 2000 Tools Update, which can be summed up this way. Blazing fast performance for ASP.NET, WPF-like visual effects for Windows Forms, and codeless reporting. The AJAX-based content editor is now 76% faster and much more intuitive. The grid also received a performance boost, plus PDF export, frozen columns, and they've even added a new awesome scheduling component. What I find even more intriguing is Telerik's Windows Form Suite. It's unbelievable that it offers WPF-like visual effects like scaling, rotation, object motion, transparencies, and so on without WPF. As a result, you could have grids, tree views, ribbons, and more with a previously impossible level of interactivity and appeal. Telerik has recently added cab support, which makes the component set a perfect fit for large enterprise applications. Lastly, with Telerik reporting, you can create advanced business reports in Windows, Web, or PDF format using pretty much design time only. Wizards, expression builders, and converters help you with the design, styling, and integration. You'll also be amazed to see some unique features, like CSS-like styling and conditional formatting. See what all the fuss is about. Download a trial at Telerik.com, and don't forget to thank them for sponsoring .NET Rocks. Can we jump a little bit into the Ajax side of thing? You were deeply involved in in making, I guess it was called Atlas, and I to make it, and I still call it that because it's the best way I know of of making it distinctive from every other Ajax implementation out there. This was a a new um, a new thing for me actually, in the sense we'd done some JavaScript work in ASP.NET 1.0, um, you know, very little bits of it. We had done some more of it in ASP.NET 2.0 with the Web Card framework, right? Um, but kind of. Um, I, I still remember I talked to Scott Guthrie uh, at TechEd in 2005, and we just thought, you know, we'll, we'll get when we get back to Redmond, we'll, we'll need to kind of go look into this. And I came back the next week and it's like, hmm, let me actually try to understand JavaScript because, um, you know, so much of um, the world's kind of thinking around JavaScript has matured so much. And um, so, I mean, the first month was literally, you know, me and a couple of folks 
uh, really kind of understanding JavaScript and seeing it in a new light. And that was um, amazing um, in terms of it o- really opened our eyes in terms of better ways to use it um, and, and the, the actual power it had. And, and it, it is a remarkably powerful thing that I think is not only grossly misused, but very misunderstood. We tried out a few different approaches um, uh, in terms of, you know, for example, the type system, whether it's closure-based, prototype-based. We actually uh, flipped back and forth a little bit, um, you know, in, in the first uh, month or two. Um, and and um, and then we started building a framework, and we, we were obviously inspired by .NET and tried to bring bring some of the similar um, API design, similar kinds of APIs to the client. And the the thing is, I look back at ASP.NET, Ajax, or Atlas. I, I actually like to call it by Atlas, too. Good. Um, <laughs> it's not just me. It's It feels like such a better way of writing a script. I wish, um, I, I look back at ASP.NET 1.0 and 2.0, and it's like, huh, we were hacking away, just like the rest of the world at JavaScript. Yeah, what yeah. was that, smart navigation property? Yeah, smart nav was probably the... Big the, hack. Uh, the best example of how not to write it. <laughs> yeah. So but, we fixed that in ASP.NET 2.0 in terms of, you know, um, update panel and partial rendering. That that kind of yep. is better smart nav in some sense. Sure. But just kind of the way we now look at script development is, is just matured so much. And I think that's going to help both ASP.NET as it builds new features, as well as ASP.NET server control developers and component developers who are extending the framework with, you know, their contributions. We just have a better model for kind of doing that now. I wonder what the impact of Silverlight, and I'm talking about 1.1 here, is on HX development. Isn't it going to be one or the other? I don't think so. The jury is still out on this, obviously, and, and time will tell. I've had similar discussions with uh, folks internally, and um, reality is I think HTML and JavaScript are here to stay for, for a while to, to come because um, A, because um, uh, of their ubiquity, um, until we kind of get to that kind of um, percentage numbers with Silverlight one one or or future versions of it, right? Um, you know, it, it's not a it's not a, um, a, a an obvious choice for all kinds of applications. There, it's certainly a a choice for you know applications that want additional capabilities, additional uh, computational um, power, for example. But but the web um, in terms of the HTML and JavaScript foundation it has are here to stay for a while. Uh, browsers are getting better, you know. So there's this, this constant sort of tug of war, so to speak, um, in, in, in some sense. And I don't think it's, it's a given that one will replace the other. I think both, both co- will coexist and there will be, um, scenarios, um, that are work better one way or the other. Well, for one, I don't know about Silverlight 1.1, but Silverlight 1.0 is basically all graphics, so there's no selecting text. Yeah, Silverlight 1.0, I mean, um, was consciously scoped at uh, the media scenario, really. So it right. supports, you know, vector graphics, supports animation, supports um, media and audio, uh, video and audio playback. Um, that that was kind of a sweet spot that we consciously targeted. Um, and, and that's kind of why it doesn't really have, you know, text selection or controls or or um, things that you want from a UI framework to develop applications. Um, the idea was you'd be using that in the context of web page, and uh, we're not out there to replace everything that HTML offers. 
Sure. Uh, with Civil Light 1.1, um, the focus is on um, much more so on building applications, and so you'll see uh, controls, and you'll see, um, you know, um, obviously you'll see managed code, which is which will be a great way to kind of write complex applications with with better tooling and better uh, a better execution environment. Um, so we, we've kind of consciously picked out sort of the media as the Civil Light 1.0 uh, sweet spot and and sort of RIA applications. Um, Aria um, as the sweet spot for 1.1. What I'm getting at is, is there anything even in Silverlight 1.1 that you can't do in uh, ASP.NET Ajax or vice versa? Is there going to be any f- particular features of one technology over the other technology? So I think in terms of features, I certainly don't have a list prepared, but I can think of off the top of my head. Um, you know, ability to access local files, ability to uh, do offline storage, um, ability to um, simply run um, um, much more code at, at a faster um, rate. I mean, basically, we're bringing down IL, shooting it, and running it as native code. Right. That clearly, um, if you do need the compute power, um, is is nice to have. Well, and philosophically, both. Ajax and Silverlight are doing the same thing. They're trying to get the client more involved in the app. Absolutely. You know, that the rendering takes place on the client rather than on the server and then displayed on the client. Right. And the idea is to, um, you know, at a, at a high level, the commonality is to use the capabilities of the client, whether it's in terms of uh, better rendering uh, or, you know, it's closer to the user, so it's more um, interactive, more immersive, um, allows the user to kind of use their um, local, um, you know, um, resources like files um, more efficiently, um, bringing some of the computation down to the client to free it up on the server. So there's a general trend, kind of that um, that spans these these kind of characteristics. Well, and it it makes sense to me that the progression has been Ajax to Silverlight, because Ajax to me seems like the ultimate stretch of what you can do with JavaScript. That now you've pushed the intrinsic abilities of the browser to the limit, and we want more. We want it faster. We want more features and so forth. So now you're pushing a whole framework down onto the browser that gives us those additional capabilities. I'm wondering if, aside from the ubiquity issue, which means, you know, Ajax runs everywhere and Silverlight doesn't yet, um, or won't even when 1.1 comes out, uh, aside from that, is there going to be any advantage to, or anything that you can do with Ajax that you can't do can't do with Silverlight. I mean, you you basically outlined some things that Silverlight does better, but what about the other way? I'm trying to think, and I can't come up with anything off the top of my head. In the one one time frame, um, probably the biggest thing that I can think of is um, HTML rendering itself. I mean, there's lots of HTML content that applications want to display, and um, it's sort of the 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 most basic, um, you know, document format that works everywhere. And, um, you know, if I want to, for example, display blog content in an application, um, it probably uses HTML. And so, uh, Silverlight 1.1 doesn't have a built-in sort of HTML rendering um, surface. And so you really, um, you know, there are ways to kind of use the browser's um, rendering surface and kind of overlay it on top of your application and, and, and get that scenario working. So there is the equivalent of a of a browser control in Silverlight, where you can have a container that hosts a document. 
yeah, eventually you want that. Uh, one of the big sort of benefits of Silverlight, what it brings is um, the fact that it's .NET everywhere. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's the same sort of engine, core engine running on the client, um, and it's the same core engine running on the server, and there's a lot of um, um, power to kind of be tapped or opportunities to kind of go uh, look into when you have .NET running on both sides. Yeah. Um, in fact, that's kind of along the wings of what I'm working on right now. Um, it's it's still really early to kind of um, think about it, but um, today where you have, imagine where you have um, um, uh, web services in the Ajax world and you can emit, you know, JavaScript proxies, um, imagine now that you have, given the fact that you have .NET on both sides, these services can just work much better. So there, there's, you know, some synergy to be kind of um, looked into over here. And I could see no reason that we could not build a single web app with a common backend that both has an Ajax client and a Silverlight. No, client. and that's exactly what I'm thinking. Or, or, or hybrid. I mean, there's no reason why you can't have Silverlight in one panel and uh, and Ajax all around the other places in the page. Yeah, uh, the two work. The two work um, not only well, but also complement each other. Right. Having yes, yeah, so having Silverlight in a panel. It's an interesting idea. I keep thinking of Silverlight owning the entire browser surface. I always thought of it as being a, a component. Yeah, I, I mean, we've always thought of, of, you know, both scenarios are equally meaningful. We sort of, uh, you know, there's the full-frame applications, like if you're, uh, you know, writing a game, for example, you might choose to do that. Um, but, if, for example, if you are um, displaying um, some uh, neat and interactive kind of charting, uh, you'd probably do that in the context of, your application that is a, you know, that has some, you know, let's say some tables in HTML that display the same data in textual format. So we kind of look at both scenarios as super interesting and super meaningful. Hey, look how Flash is used right now. I mean, you, there's more things you can do with Silverlight than Flash, but, or 1.1, but, uh, you know, if you think of how it's used right now as sort of a starting point, that'll probably give you a good idea of how Silverlight 1.1 will be used in the beginning at least. The, the the other thing to mention here is that you know these are new technologies and and if if Ajax has shown one thing it's that the web developer community is kind of great at taking a technology with some constraints and kind of pushing it to the limit <laughs> and seeing what comes out of it. They will find a way. You know, just kind of extending the set of capabilities you have with a few more. Like Ajax kind of gave you. Um, uh, interactive HTML and, and, and scripting and the ability to kind of do requests back to the server without postbacks. Um, but it was still constrained in terms of, you know, execution capabilities, local file access, and so on and so forth. And you kind of just open up the constraints a little bit and kind of give a little bit more technology. Um, and it just leads to, um, it'll just lead to uh, a lot more interesting and creative ideas. I think, um, it's yet to be seen what, what kinds of th- things people come up with. Now I'm thinking about, and this is a little off topic, but I'd be interested in your position on this. This MVC framework, the model view controller framework that Scott Guthrie just brought out recently in, in early, early stage. I don't even think you'd call it an alpha. Yeah, it's uh, actually, um, I think, uh, a, a daily build off of the dev machine. I think so. And it, it sounded to me like it's going to be a back end for Silverlight primarily. Um, no, I'm not so sure about that characterization. Um, 
it's basically a way to um, develop your applications where you're consciously thinking about, you know, what's the model part of my application, what's the view, what's the controller, right. um, and how how my logic is kind of split, split into, uh, or how my applications split into those different parts to, um, you know, facilitate uh, things like testing uh, and doing test-driven development, to facilitate things like replacing views with um, different implementations of views. So in that sense, you could kind of look at it as if I might have, um, you know, an HTML view or a richer view, that kind of thing. Right. Uh, but it's primarily uh, a way to, um, um, you know, it's it's a pattern, it's an approach to developing applications, uh, much more so than being targeted at Silverlight or or HTML um, specifically. Well, well, now you can do MVC and ASP.NET today. Um, what what do you get in terms of technology tools or what templates or what have you that uh, that helps you in this regard. The fact that you can do MVC with ASP.NET today is a sort of testament to its extensibility, I think. Um, what we're trying to do is obviously um, bring together the patterns that work well to a more mainstream audience. Uh, what we're trying to do is, um, you know, figure out what the problems are in kind of um, and, and doing the things that we can do by virtue of updating ASP.NET itself. For example, um, uh, it's very it's it's possible to simulate, but harder to do so. Uh, where I want to abstract out things like the HTTP context, the HTTP session, the HTTP request, and those intrinsic objects that right. we can kind of do a better job by uh, creating interfaces that can be um, that, where you can have mock implementations, for example. Oh, I see. So we're trying to fix those pain points that um, the implementations have had outside that have been that have been doing this outside of the core HTTP.NET framework. Um, we're also bringing tooling, so you know, getting the tools to understand um, MVC, getting um, the right sort of um, you know designer gestures and, and uh, whether it's project templates or I was just going to say, uh, yeah. you know, uh, commands or things off of the project system. So over time, we'll kind of do some of that as well to kind of have a fully integrated end-to-end experience. So is this going to be provided as an extension to the ASP.NET? Framework? Uh, it'll be a part of the ASP.NET framework, really. So it'll be part um, of the next version. Yeah, it, it, I mean, it's initially going to be um, released as a separate sort of separate sort of package. Toolkit, right. Sort of like ASP.NET Ajax was, in fact. Yeah, right. Um, then, but then kind of included into the whole framework. Nice. Yeah, we don't hear a lot of conversation about ASP.NET 3.0. We're, not, we're just not calling it ASP.NET 3.0. I think you can look at all the things we're doing and kind of um, all those are essentially the VNet. Right. So it's out there. It's just not tagged the way you would think. Yeah. Well, I mean, we're talking Orcus, right? That's what we call it. I mean, Orcus was like .NET 3.5, I guess. Or... Yeah, you're, you're talking the version beyond Orcus. Yeah, this is beyond Orcus. Okay, let's talk about Script Sharp. What, what is? <laughs> what is it? What is, yeah. Um... It's a way of developing scripts by using some of the tooling infrastructure that, that's around C-sharp. Uh, what I mean by that is uh, you are authoring C-sharp code using the C-sharp tools um, in the IDE, things like the editor with IntelliSense, things like the class browser, things like refactoring, uh, all the things that you get with C-sharp tooling 
Um, and then uh, what Surfshark provides is a compiler that takes that C-sharp source and generates JavaScript. Um, oh. The focus around um, the approach I took was um, you're still very much authoring script, as in uh, you're, you're conscious about the, the runtime target and the browser environment that you're coding to, except that you're using the C-sharp tooling. As contrasted to, which I which isn't what ScriptSharp is about, is the idea that you take arbitrary .NET code and somehow compile it so it runs in the browser. So it, it's very much um, a, a tooling experience, much more so than a um, convert your application to run on the, in the browser. Well, this sort of sounds like that tool we were talking to uh, Brad Abrams about, Richard, which uh, the name of escapes me. Uh, that was Volt. Volt. Volta. Oh, uh, yes, there's a, a, um, a sort of um, a few other folks within Microsoft are uh, working on this thing called Volta, which is also similar in the sense that it um, generates JavaScript from um, .NET code. It's uh, slightly different. It's, um, it actually works from IL to JavaScript um, as opposed to from C sharp to JavaScript, so it, ah. it does work for other languages, um, but it's somewhat more focused um, on the abil- the the idea that JavaScript is basically a runtime target for your .NET code, right? As opposed to being a very specific sort of script target. Okay, I get the sense that Nikhil, the ASP.NET guys are lucky to have you. It's almost like you should be at Microsoft Research. Yeah, just kicking out your own compiler to a different language—that's <laughs> amazing. That's great. Well, I mean, I I love doing these prototypes, but I also don't think of myself in belonging in the research wing because I do like to ship. Ah, <laughs> okay, because you like to ship code. I speak to people today, which is why you know, for example, I uh, released ScriptSharp um, over a year ago um, when it was very early. It's still fairly early, and I've gotten lots of feedback, lots of you know, people submitting uh, bug reports. Um, suggestions and try to incorporate them. So that wouldn't happen if I didn't ship it. Yeah, true enough. All right. Well, I'm just blown away by the spectrum of your work here already. But what drew me to you first and foremost, and I'm almost embarrassed about this because it's, it, I think it's a small bump along the line of this incredible career already, is Facebook.net. So what have you done here? You know, you, you in, earlier in the recording, you talked about developers wanting to build their own framework. Yes. Here's an example. <laughs> <laughs> um, I um, I am impressed by um, Facebook, especially the developer platform. I, it was very brave of them to simply open it up to the world. Yeah, um, and I think that, you know, um, just like the web, it will be interesting to see what the creative types come up with and where this goes. Um, it's still in its, I think, nascent stages. Now, they do have a nice API that, that kind of works very well for experimentation with the REST API. But I kind of wanted um, a, a sort of more framework-y feel to it when, I, when it actually comes to developing an application, um, as, as opposed to kind of just experimenting with it. And so that's, that's kind of why I started this. Uh, I also wanted to kind of encapsulate some of the protocol they have around authentication um, and, and, you know, Facebook session establishment, that kind of stuff. Um, and th- the other thing I wanted to do at the same time was make it feel uh, supernatural to ASP.NET developers. You don't mean supernatural. You mean supernatural. 
the the toolkits they offer are PHP, um, and uh, the other sort of .NET samples I've seen are kind of more akin to copying and pasting code. So I kind of took a look at that and kind of tried to think about what what does the ACNet um, model for Facebook uh, development what what might it look like? Um, and you know, being the server controls kind of person, I naturally gravitated gravitated towards that. So I, I kind of just started out writing a simple server control uh, called Facebook application. You drop it on your page, and it kind of takes care of the authentication-like um, uh, set of things. Um, and then kind of from there, I started thinking about, okay, well, I wanted to access this API, and I want to be able to bind to it. The natural thing is data source controls. Um, and so I wrote SQL data source, which pops SQL instead of um, you know SQL like the SQL data source does. Right. Um, so that's kind of the idea is to find um, uh, a model that works uh, very well for ASP.NET um, and, and true to sort of the ASP.NET spirit it, and let you write Facebook applications in that way. Um, I put it out on Postless because I knew uh, a couple of things. Uh, it, was, it, was, it was sort of another experiment for me in terms of my first project out on Postless. Um, but more importantly, um, I knew that Facebook was kind of going to continually uh, sort of put out new things, uh, and there are still lots of questions about what's the best way to do things, so I wanted to kind of share uh, share out the source and, and have the development up be out in the open so that others in the community would be able to kind of provide feedback um, and, and also, um, you know, be able to take the source and make local changes if, um, you know, something's blocking them um, and something needs to get you know, they need to kind of get over immediately uh, rather than waiting on me. So I chose to put it out on CodeFlex, and it's been, um, it's been, I think, fairly successful in terms of number of downloads, both both releases and the source code. Um, and then the discussions and the issues have, you know, just started kind of ramping up um, as well. So that's kind of nice to see. Um, there's certainly lots more ideas I have around uh, what I'd like to do in the, in the in the framework that, you know, lets me better target SBML and and other ideas about um, creating sort of the um, canonical Facebook applications, what, what are the kinds of things you need, and right. just be there in the framework. So it, it's still a fairly early project, and as you said, it, it, it's a small one. And it's also not the only, you know, Microsoft-related Facebook uh, toolkit out there either. Looks like there's a few of them on just on Coplex alone. Yeah, there is one other big one. Um, I think it's called the Facebook Developer Toolkit. Right. Um, and um, I actually didn't know about it when I first started. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's but, fair. Uh, but I did hear about it as soon as I started working on on, on my uh, project, and especially when I released it. Don't you love that moment when somebody says, "Hey, why don't you just use this?" You're right. Like, right. And then I, you know. You know, give the lame excuse. Well, I'm a developer. I just wrote my own framework. Um, right. <laughs> but no, I actually did look at that um, and and try to see if there's um, um, you know something in there in terms of like trying to combine those those two. And what I realized is um, I took the approach of trying to optimize this for ASP.NET, um, and the other um, the other one is kind of more geared at developing applications that are outside of Facebook, for example, like desktop applications um, that target the Facebook API. Um, so 
I think there's um, there's certainly an overlap in the two. You can't have two frameworks and not have an overlap that try to do the same target the same thing. Uh, but then there's some unique characteristics about both. Now, of course, we've just leaped right into this because I know you and I both use Facebook. But for the folks that aren't out there, uh, what's the appeal? Why does why is Facebook uh, suddenly taken off? Well, let me preface that by saying that I am certainly not very big Facebook user in the sense I if you look at my sort of history on Facebook, it's been mostly like adding a bunch of contacts that I know of. Right. Uh, much more so than interacting with it in um, in a, on a day-to-day basis. Um, but I think there's an appeal to that in the sense that um, it's it's a clean site in the sense it isn't annoying like uh, some of the other social networks. Um, and I think they have done a few impressive things like um, they have this concept of a mini feed, which is you know, um, stories about what I've done right. uh, on Facebook, and it has a news feed which lets me see what people uh, in my network um, are publishing in their mini feed. So I think that it models um, some social dynamics really well, and I think that's the primary appeal. I mean, obviously, it's a it's a social dynamics site, but uh, I don't know if anybody else is just over, sort of said, "All right, go ahead, build your apps. Let's see what happens." I think um, a lot of our Facebook is about appeal to the general sort of audience that they have, they target, but they also have, offer a lot to appeal to developers like me, which is like, huh, uh, this is an interesting platform that, you know, it would be interesting to build for and see what can, what can be done, uh, what are the opportunities, what are the challenges, what, and, you know, you know, further my learning a little bit. Well, I just think about the scalability problem that anytime you throw an app into Facebook, you're confronted with millions of users. And if it's even vaguely interesting, it's just going to get hammered. Yeah, um, I mean, it's something to look forward to as an app developer. Obviously, having having that kind of scale of users that you're targeting. Right. I think there's um, a bunch of things out there that help you that you have to think about when you're developing this application in terms of kinds of the server resources that you're going to use. And one of the things that's on my list of um, sort of investigations or, or learning, if you will, that I need to do is actually um, play around with things like, you know, Amazon's S3 and EC2. Right. Um, uh, and I'm, that's one of the reasons why I'm interested in, in doing this kind of um, little Facebook application project that I'm slowly working on on the weekends, um, which is uh, to firsthand learn some of these things. Um, and I think I would say that the firsthand learning that I try to do with my projects is kind of what helps me the most. For sure. Interesting. Uh, digging into the development model here, I mean, why do we need a Facebook.net? It, it doesn't look like the coding for a Facebook app is really all that complex. It's this, You talk about on your blog two different techniques, the iframe and the, the FBML. Yeah. Um, Facebook markup language. I just got it just now. <laughs> <laughs> the, the idea behind Facebook.net is to it's definitely not to get in your way. So you, you have um, access to the APIs, um, but just slightly more fr- in, in slightly more friendly ways in the sense that not so much as in it's a abstraction, it's in fact almost a one-to-one mapping between the APIs, but it kind of works well for a C-sharp or a VB developer. Um, that's kind of the first thing it does. So I'm not making, I'm not working at the HTTP web request level, for example, whenever I want to make a, make a request, but rather I'm you know, saying Facebook service dot, um, you know, friends dot get, and, and I can get a list of friend objects, which have properties, as opposed to 
kind of getting a, uh, a dictionary or an XML node back. So it's kind of just one level of abstraction over the API where um, it just works better for the strongly typed, statically typed um, language. Right. So that's, that's kind of one aspect to it. The other aspect, as I alluded to before, was um, to really kind of make it resonate with the ASP.NET model, where um, I might have some server controls to access the data, I might have some server controls to access, you know, the things that are posted back, or even the most mundane things, which is um, do the handshake to establish a session. I just I just don't have to think about the code I have to write anymore to kind of do that. I just drop in a server control. Those are the kinds of things that, um, uh, you know, Facebook.net offers. Well, Nikhil, um, we're, we're going to have to cut this one a little bit short, but I want to know, like, if you can give us some hints about some things that you might be working on. Um, the things I'm working on these days are um, kind of building on Silverlight 1.1, um, as in, you know, what what are the kinds of um, things we need to provide uh, to developers um, on t- that are, you know, going to build Silverlight 1.1 applications. And without going too much into detail, specifically what I'm trying to bring together is my sort of experience with ASP.NET um, and Silverlight and kind of bring them together to be a, um, be a sort of a better together uh, um, thing in some sense. But just kind of looking at the next set of challenges with building reapplication and making that simpler. That, that's sort of my area of uh, focus these days. I still, you know, do look at ASP.NET. I still do work with the folks working on Ajax. I still do work with the folks working on the Silverlight um, sort of plugin itself. So spread out a little bit, but that's um, I have one area of focus right now. Okay, this this might be a long shot, but do you do you plan to have any kind of low level audio support in uh, in Silverlight one one either ASIO or DirectX or WDM or anything like that? No, not. Uh, I don't think uh, that's in anywhere in the plans of Silverlight 1.1, um, partly because, um, you know, those those things probably require you to step outside of the sandbox. That's probably one of the big reasons. Uh, and it's probably also not um, easy to go write something cross-platform. So um, for a variety of reasons, that's probably not on the list right now. Okay. Well, like I said, we're going to have to cut it a little bit short today just because of schedules and things, but I think we covered just about everything we wanted to talk to you about. Uh, you've led a fascinating life, and it's not over yet. Thanks. <laughs> I didn't mean to imply that, but a fascinating career anyway, and uh, may it continue. Um, well, it was great talking to you guys, and um, thanks to all the um, you know folks in the audience who, uh, who listened to this. And I think you got some new fans today. <laughs> At least Always two. Look for like it, that's, that's, that's what makes uh, you know this, this area of technology so interesting. Awesome. Thanks again. Okay. Thank you. All right, and we'll see you next time on Net Rocks. Dotnet Rocks is recorded and produced by Pwop Productions providing professional audio, audio mastering, video, post-production, and podcasting services. Online at www.pwop.com. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter and offering custom on-site classes in Microsoft development technology 
with expert developers. Online at www.franklins.net. For more .NET Rocks episodes and to subscribe to the podcast feeds, go to our website at www.dotnetrocks.com. Got a transmitter band by the FCC Yes, I'm a, a time boy Life is hard